Well, happy spring break. Some of you had it last week, some of you have it this week. Uh, also, happy St. Patrick's Day. I forgot that it was St. Patrick's Day today, maybe. And I just wanted to say that this, uh, if, if you also forgot it was St. Patrick's today, day to day, this is a pinch-free zone. So this is a church, a sanctuary. Uh, as soon as you walk out the door, though, it's on. Um, but no pinching in the service. Uh, Christine reminded me this morning and said, oh, yeah, one of my favorite St. Patrick days that fell on a Sunday, I remember I was going to church when I was younger, and the pastor preached about St. Patrick. And I'm like, that would have been such a good idea to preach on. <laughs> and I didn't, so. Um, but uh, church history is fascinating to me. I, I nerd for it. I, I love church history. And uh, I wanted to open today with, with a quote that comes from one of the church fathers. And this quote comes from the third century in North Africa. The church was flourishing in the midst of a really, uh, a lot of hardship. And uh, the, the church uh, is, uh, there, there's kind of a, one of the, the hubs is in Alexandria, Egypt. But also over in Carthage, there's, the church is flourishing. And there was a, a church father, a pastor, the Bishop of Carthage, and his name was Cyprian. And as he was uh, kind of leading uh, the church that was, was growing and flourishing, uh, he writes this, uh, he, he writes a treatise on faithfulness and on patience. These are virtues that were so important to the early church. Faithfulness and patience. And uh, writes the treatise on, on, on patience to encourage the church in the midst of a, a, a culture of hardship. And he writes these words. He says, Beloved brethren, we are philosophers not in words, but in deeds. We exhibit our wisdom not by our dress, but by truth. We know virtues by their practice rather than through boasting of them. We do not speak great things, but we live them. I was reading that and I heard that last phrase. We do not speak great things, but we live them. Writes this to the church in the third century. This phrase, we do not speak great things, but we live them. This isn't the first time that it appears in some of these ancient writings. Uh, about 50 years before that, in North Africa, there's a, a church leader named uh, Minutius Felix, which is a great name. Uh, but he writes, he writes uh, 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 this uh, a treatise called Octavius, again trying to encourage the church. And he says kind of the same phrase. We do not speak great things, but we live them. And some historians think that this was kind of like a slogan. They probably didn't call it a slogan, but the early church in North Africa had this slogan that was going around that, that in the midst of kind of a hostile environment, we don't speak great things, we live them. There's something about how we live our lives that is compelling. We live into greatness. The early church, the, the way that they lived, they lived their life was shaped around the Sermon on the Mount. This was something that was essential to them. The teachings of Jesus, especially those found in the Sermon on the Mount. As we head towards Easter, we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, and this week and last week, we looked at the Sermon on the Mount and spent hopefully time in it this week, these teachings of Jesus. In the Sermon on the Mount, probably some of the most famous things that Jesus says, we have the Beatitudes, we have the love your neighbor, the Lord's Prayer. Last week, we talked about how we're called to, to shine, our, shine uh, to, to shine. We're called to shine in culture, and through our good deeds so that others may experience life that is eternal, this story of salvation that we're all a part of. 
But there's something else that happens when we live out the teachings of Jesus, which I think the early church understood very much so, is that it sustains us in the midst of hardship. Living out the Sermon on the Mount, living out the teachings of Jesus, sustain us in the midst of hardship. And when we get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has these words. He, he closes down his sermon with kind of a parable. And it's found in Matthew 7, verse 24 through 28. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rains came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. And when Jesus had finished these things, the crowds were amazed at his teachings. This is how Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount, these teachings that were uh, revolutionary. He paints a picture and he mentions two different people, two men, and he leaves kind of the unsaid question for us. Which one are you? There's two people in this story. And what's interesting is you, you hear the story about the two builders, you find that there's actually a lot of similarities between them. One of the similarities is they both want to build a house. They're, they're both out to do the same thing. They're both building a house. And in, in Scripture, this idea of building a house, that, that's a language that's familiar throughout Scripture, and it could mean a lot of different things, and Jesus might have different meanings for it too. But the idea of building a house might mean that you're building a life. And all of us are building a life. In the life that we're building, if you're like me, and hopefully you, you, you want to build a life of significance, right? No one's out to build a life of failure and destruction and despair. We want to build lives, of, we want our lives to matter, we want our lives to count, and so all of us, uh, the, the way that we live, the way that we interact with this world is we're, we're building this life, hopefully, of significance. Also throughout scripture, this idea of building a house uh, might mean building a family, building a family. Uh, family is called houses like the house of David in the Old Testament. And you're, uh, if you're part of a family or you're starting a family or uh, you've been leading a family for a long time, you, you, we're, we're a part of building this house, this, this family. And, and my guess is uh, that, again, we want families of significance. Um, one of the cool things about being in pastoring a young church is there's a lot of people who are getting married, and so um, I feel like I get to do a number of weddings uh, each year. I did a wedding last weekend, and as I kind of sit down with a young couple that's about to get married, um, and we're talking about kind of the life that they're getting ready to build, the family that they're getting ready to build together, you, you never hear them saying, uh, I hope my marriage ends in divorce. You know, I, I hope that I have conflict with my children the rest of my life. We, no, one has, no one even thinks about that. There's so much optimism because, because we, we think of, we want to build houses that are, are happy and peaceful. And we enter, and it's, when I'm around these, these young couples, they're entering into uh, this, this journey together where they're building a house together with so much optimism. And it's exciting and it's also scary. But we want to build 
a family. Another thing that it might mean as Jesus speaks is uh, that it's, it's a house of faith. You're, you're building some sort of ministry or church um, that we, we, we see the, the house of God throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, this idea that this, this community of people, um, and, and, and that's what we're doing here. We're, we're building a church. We're a part of maybe different ministries that are built where we feel like we're, we're a part of these, these causes that are greater than ourselves, that are greater than just our own lives and our own families. We're a part of something bigger where we're joining God, building this house of faith. And again, I don't think anyone sets out to say, I want to build a dull, dying, dysfunctional church, right? We, we want to be a part of these things that are growing and fruitful and faithful and dynamic, and then also there's this idea of building society, like working towards the common good, uh, building, building a nation, a country. In the Old Testament, we have this idea of the house of Israel, and this is this world that we all inhabit. And, and again, it's something that, especially in our kind of heightened political culture, it, it feels like it's this fragile, we live in the country and we have freedom, and it's also like, whoo, does anyone else feel like it's almost like there's this cold civil war happening right now and we made it through Thanksgiving talking to our family without things blowing up? And, but, but all of us are a part of building this country that we, that we live in and we inhabit. We have these uh, communities that we live in, the city, the city of Phoenix. Matt comes from Portland. Uh, I love Portland, the, the land of Stumptown Coffee and Powell's Bookstore. There, there's things that that place is known for. We're part of building these larger communities in the society that we celebrate. And our hope is that the things that we're building are good, not stuff that would collapse. When Jesus is talking about these two, these two builders, they're both building something. There's no difference. They're set out to build, and all of us are a part of building something, whether it's our life, our family, our church, our nation. We build. The second similarity is this, that they both heard the words of Jesus. And I think that's significant. I think we forget both of these men hear the words of Jesus in this story. And at the end of the Sermon of the Mount, it says that all the people that hear it, they hear the words of Jesus, and they were amazed at the words of Jesus. And so sometimes we think, well, this is a story about, like, you know, a very good disciple of Jesus and a pagan. And I'm not like them, but we forget, no, both of these characters hear Jesus' words. They're similar in that way. They hear the words of Jesus. The third thing that is similar is they both have the same storm that hits them. Jesus describes the storm, and it's exactly the same in details. It's not like one gets hit with a worse storm or one gets hit by a different kind of... They both experience the same storm. Storms throughout scripture represent the trouble, the challenges, the difficulties that we face in life. And my guess is that the storms that, that come here that kind of rock these builders um, come in all sorts of different forms. And you've probably experienced the kind of forms that would just rock your own life. Maybe you're in the midst of a storm right now. Maybe it's something that is so overwhelming, it's so stressful, there's so much uncertainty that you just feel the weight of the storm beating down on you. Maybe you're just coming out of a storm. You're coming out of a season that is 
been extremely challenging. Or maybe you're about to enter into a storm. It's been a good season of life, but there's a storm on the horizon. Uh, We moved into a new house about two years ago, and uh, one of the things that our house had that we like were freaked out about are not scorpions, that would be one thing, but roaches. And I think my wife is more afraid of roaches than demons. Like, <laughs> she freaks out about them. And so we're trying to figure out, like, how do we get rid of these things? And some of you know the Skiba, Stephen Skiba. His dad owns one of the, you know, pest control companies. And so we called him, and, like, his brother came out. His brother's our bug guy. And as he came out to our house, he's like, oh, yeah, we've, we've treated, we used to treat this house a long time ago. And I know that we had the termite contract on it. I was like, termites? This place has termites. What's going on? What kind of house? And he goes, well, you know, there's two kinds of houses in Phoenix. There's the kind that have termites and the kind that are going to get termites. That's it. Those are the only two kind of houses in Phoenix. And I was thinking about that. And, and you, like, if you're not from Phoenix and you find out your house has termites, you're, like, freaking out. You're like, the whole thing's going to collapse and fall. But if you've, like, grown up in Phoenix, you know, like, oh, that, yeah, we get termites out here. It's the desert. And if you don't have them, you're going to get them. And I think it's kind of the same way with, when it comes to storms, when it comes to our lives. There's people who have storms, and there's people who are going to have storms. It's coming. Life is difficult. And, it, and I wish I could say, like, if you follow Jesus, it's all like sunshine and Skittles, but that's not true. Life is challenging. I'm uh, 36 years old, not really gone through like extremely difficult storms, but Marcy and I have had our seasons of ups and downs, and we feel like we're in this season right now where it's sunshine. But we've gone through some storms. We're around people that are going through just devastating storms. If you're not going through one, there's probably one coming. All of us experience these storms, and they hit us. And for these two men in this story that Jesus is telling about, they both are experiencing the same storm. But then there's differences. There's differences between the two. Uh, One man is called wise, and one man is called a fool. Jesus says one builder is wise, one is fool. Even though there's similarities, they start out, they're building a home. uh, They have these hopes and dreams. Jesus says one is wise, and the other is a fool. They both have storms, but here's the difference. One is wise and one is a fool because one hears the words of Jesus and he puts them into practice. And one man hears the words of Jesus and he doesn't put them into practice. There's something deeply connected with how we live our life that is connected with how, what we believe about the gospel, about Jesus, about salvation. Christians should look different in this world because they are living out the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is something that just doesn't capture our minds and our hearts. It captures our actions. It gets put into flesh and blood and how we live. And the man is a fool, not because he's like not as educated as the other one or he doesn't have the same accomplishments. It's because he hears these words that are foundational and he does nothing about it. The second thing is different is that the foundation that they build on is different. One is rock and one is sand. And we hear that and we think, yeah, of course. Like, why would you 
why would you build one on rock and one on sand? And like, of course the sand's going to crumble. But there's something about the rock that I think is interesting. Rock takes more time to build on. I have a friend here that uh, lives up kind of on Scottsdale Mountain, and when they went to build the home, uh, they realized that they were like on all sorts of like kind of bedrock that he had to chop into, and he was like, oh my goodness, this is gonna be so much more expensive to build a home up here. Not only is it harder to build on, it's more expensive to build on. It takes more time to build on rock, but this is the, the strong foundation. The easy thing to do would be to go build on sand. It's quicker, you could do it overnight, you could build sand and sand quickly. Probably less expensive, it takes less time to get a structure up. One builds on a rock, one builds on the sand. And as we know, Jesus is, uh, like his, his occupation is that he's, he's a carpenter. In Matthew 6, Mark 6, 3 tells us that he's a, he's a carpenter. And the, the word for carpenter, like we just automatically go to, to woodworking, but it's this word tectony, which means that he would use various materials, whether it was wood or stone or metal. So Jesus was a woodworker, but probably more than that, he probably was a builder. Like this isn't just him using this analogy. This is probably like this practical. He understands building and he understands it's worth it to build on a rock. You don't just build the walls. You don't just build the windows and the roof. You start with the foundation. The foundation is everything. Everything has to come on this foundation of the rock. My wife and I lived in Texas for a couple years and uh, you know, we went out there kind of wanting to go to Texas because we were watching that movie Friday, or the show Friday Night Lights, <laughs> high school football. It was like, you know, Explosions of the Sky soundtrack. Um, loved that show. And we get out there and we realize, like, this is the culture here. Football is everything. And we lived in this suburb north of Dallas near this place called Allen. And in Allen, while we were there, there was this high school that was uh, like this high school football superpower. And they built a high school football stadium that was $60 million. I remember like, like when I heard that, and like the, the school district in our area was like laying off teachers because they didn't have funding. $60 million. I heard that and I was just one of those things where you, mm-hmm, yeah, it's good use of money for a high school football stadium. And the land up on the north side of Dallas, a lot of it's clay. And what happened is after they built this building, the foundations of it started to crack and crack in a way that they condemned the building. I mean, this was like, a, can you imagine how foolish this looked? Like you put all of this, all of $60 million into this facility and the foundation was bad. It looks very foolish. The Cardinals might draft a quarterback that went to that high school, by the way. What, uh, <laughs> Both their foundations are different. One is rock and one is sand. And then kind of the third difference is that the, the way that they're, they're, they li- when they hear these words, one's putting them into practice and one isn't. One is living out the, w- the way of Jesus and one isn't. Like I, I, I said, it's not like one is like a follower of Jesus and one is a pagan. These are both people who have heard the word and one of them has gotten so ingrained into who he is that he's living out the way of Jesus. And the other one isn't. The other one isn't. I think there's something about the power of God in this world uh, that, that gets activated when we step into obedience of living out the way of Jesus. There's something about the, the power of God that just gets activated by us in our action. And God works in all sorts of ways, but he's invited us to join him in the story where he's working through us. 
when we, when we step out in obedience, God goes to work. I, I think of like, a, like motion detectors. There's this room uh, behind the stage that in the morning on Sundays, I come here and after we do some setup, I go and be quiet. And I go back there and when I go into this, this drama room to get ready, there's a motion detector that sets the light on. And for the first few weeks when I would go back there, I would be kind of like looking for the light and the, the motion detector wouldn't come on right away. And, but then when I would get like to the middle of the room, it would pop on. And so I'd always forget and I'd always be looking for the light. But now it's like I, I remember like, oh, if I just walk into this room and walk in far enough, the motion detector will find me and then the light turns on and all the power's on. And, I, and so now I just walk in knowing, boop, lights are gonna go on. I think there's something about that with the way that God works in this world too is that when we step into the life that he's called us to and we start to do the things that Jesus instructs us to do, that it just activates this power that is all around us. We see this in Moses in the Old Testament where he's told to hold out his staff and when he does that, the Red Sea parts. Before he does that, they're, they're, the Israelites are at the banks of the Red Sea and the Egyptians are coming. They're trying to figure out what are we going to do. And it's like God doesn't just open up the sea for them. He tells Moses to hold out his staff. And when he does that, it activates that power of God. Or there's the story of uh, Joshua when the Israelites are crossing the Jordan and they get to this river Jordan. They're trying to figure out what to do. And God says, just go out and stand in the river. And the priests go out and stand in the river and the river blockades and it opens up and the people of God walk through it. There's something connected with not just what, what we believe, but actually living out what Jesus has told us to do in this world that activates that power. The way of Jesus is powerful. This is why I think that that early church in Africa, so we don't say great things, we live them. These teachings that Jesus has told us, they're the way to life, the way to truth, the way to power. The old English theologian G.K. Chesterton said this, that the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Life isn't easy, but when we step into the life that Christ has called us, there's power. One puts it into practice and one does not. But here's the interesting thing about the story as Jesus is telling it. It's not apparent who is wise and who is a fool until the storm comes. There's so many similarities between these two characters. And we don't know who is wise and who is a fool until that storm comes. And then the foundation is revealed. The life that you're living right now, storms are going to come. I don't know why they come, but when they come, they reveal that foundation. And here's the other thing is like, in this story, when you hear about the storm, I mean, it sounds like a hurricane. Waves come up, waves come crashing, it's a flood. The other thing I know is that in the midst of a storm that is like a hurricane, you can't fix the foundation in the midst of that storm. You can prepare for it before the storm comes, and you can repair after the storm is there. But once you get in the midst of it, it is chaos. It is chaos. I, I think sometimes in my life where, it's, where I, I feel that out of control, I know there's this rock that's solid under me. But if we don't spend time in the way of Jesus before that, in the midst of the storm, it can be absolutely overwhelming. You can prepare for it, you can repair for it 
afterwards. I think a lot of people, we, we come to God in desperation in the midst of it. The great news is that God's grace and love meets us in the midst of the storm. Jesus says, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine puts them into practice as like a wise man. When the storm comes, the house stays together. Who builds a house on a solid rock and it can't be shaken. Jesus challenges for us to take up these words to make them the foundation of your life. Your life, your family, our church, our society. When we do that, his kingdom comes through us in compelling ways. We don't just speak great things, we live them. Kingdom living, the Sermon on the Mount. Today, as we consider the way that we live our lives, the words of Jesus that are found in this teaching, a couple of things I want to reflect on. Uh, the first is maybe this idea of Jesus being the foundation of your life is never, it, you've never decided to have that. Like this is new to you, this is something that you've like, why would, why would I follow Jesus? The invitation is to make a decision to say, I want this to be the bedrock of my life, the foundation that everything else is on. A foundation that is unshakable, no matter what life comes, throws at me. There's this foundation. We make this decision where Jesus becomes our foundation. We have different terms for it, but it's simply this idea of, Jesus, I want you to be the foundation of my life. Or maybe you're in the midst of a storm right now and you feel like everything's about to collapse. There's pressure, there's flooding, there's anxiety. And you just need encouragement to be reminded that what is inside of you will sustain you through this. That the, the, the power of God in your life, the, the resurrection life is with you. Or maybe you're, you're coming out of a storm right now and you're beat up, you're exhausted, <coughs> the roof is leaking, I don't know. And you just need for things to be repaired. And you know that you've made it through, but you just need encouragement today. As we close today, one of the things that we do that we think is sacred is we come to the table, and we take the elements, we partake in this thing called communion. We think that this is something that is holy and sacred because it represents the story of Jesus, our foundation, who has done great work in this world. Where on the cross, he's taken the power of all the storms that come, all the things that, that we've caused to be storms, all the storms that have happened to us, all of our brokenness, and he absorbs it on the cross. In the midst of a, his body being broken on the cross, all of our brokenness is put back together. So we take a piece of bread that represents the body of Christ that is broken. We take a cup of juice that represents the blood of Christ that was poured out, that was shed, that washes away our iniquity, our sin, the things that are broken in our life. And maybe today as we come to the table, we just need to think about our foundation and our storms and where we're at in our story. Are we wise? Are we foolish? And come to God and come to the table and say, Lord, I just want you to be my foundation. So Matt's going to come back up and close us with a song. I want to just spend some time just in prayer and reflection. And when you're ready to move to the table, 
If you're in a place right now where you feel like the storm is so overbearing, I don't know if I can come to the table. We'd love to just meet with you and pray with you today. Uh, Hal Lincoln is uh, our, our chaplain here, loves to pray. He, he can meet you in the back today and just to pray over whatever that storm is. I'll be in the back as well. But let's spend some time on these words of Jesus. Let's come to the table when we're ready. And then I'll close this. Lord, thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your word, for these teachings, Lord, that are 2,000 years old, and yet we see that they're the way of life, that you desire life for us, Lord, life that is eternal, that you are our foundation. Lord, let us know that there's something deeply connected with how we live and what we believe. Let us be a people who don't just say great things, Lord, but we live them. Not only to be a light in the darkness, Lord, but to have a foundation that is unshakable. That we'd go through hardship and that we would that in the midst of adversity, Lord, we'd flourish in the midst of all the resistance that we face in this world, the things that break us down, the evil one who tries to destroy us, Lord, they'd have no power because you are with us. Be our firm foundation, Lord. Be the solid rock upon which we stand. Let us be wise in how we live. Meet with us today in your sons and we pray. Amen.